After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awuz and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih V, Ayyadahullahu Ta'ala bin Asrhil Aziz stated that the life and character of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, were being discussed in relation to the Battle of Ahud. Further details are as follows. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was the closest to the enemy in terms of distance between them and 15 individuals firmly stood their ground along his side during the Battle of Ahud. Eight were from the Muhajireen, including Hazrat Abu Bakr, Hazrat Umar, Hazrat Talha, Zubair, Abdul Rahman bin Auf, Saad bin Abi Waqas, Abu Ubaidah bin Jarrah. And seven were from the Ansar, including Hazrat Khubab bin Munzir, Abu Dujana, Asim bin Sabit, Haris bin Sima, Sal bin Hunaf, and Saad bin Muadh. And some are of the opinion that it was Saad bin Ubadah. And it is also mentioned that Muhammad bin Maslama was among them as well. Others have said that 30 individuals firmly stood their ground in front of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And all of them said that may my face remain in front of the countenance of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And may my body remain in front of his. And may he remain protected. And may my life be sacrificed for his sake. In one narration, it is recorded that Talha bin Ubaidullah and 11 other individuals remained alongside the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. In another narration, it is recorded that when the idolaters had encircled the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he was in the midst of seven Ansari companions and one Qureshi companion. In yet another narration, it is recorded that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, remained alone, along with nine other individuals, seven from the Ansar, two from the Quraysh, and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was the tenth. 
The number of companions who firmly stood their ground alongside the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, varies across different narrations. And the note that the research cell has provided states that the 30 companions are mentioned and one explanation for this may be that the number of companions may have constantly changed at that time. The individual who saw 15 mentioned 15 and others stated the amount they observed. The companions must have continuously come to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and then left, which might have caused the difference in number. Nevertheless, this seems to be correct, as it has been mentioned in the details, which has been stated over the previous sermons, that the companions would surround the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, but the attack of the enemy would break the circle, and consequently they would disperse and then regroup again. In any case, the fact is that the companions continuously displayed their steadfastness and none of them feared death in the slightest. It is also mentioned that on the day of the Battle of Ahud, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, took an oath from the companions to sacrifice their lives. When the Muslims seemingly suffered defeat, they remained steadfast and started protecting the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, with their very lives, so much so that some of them were martyred. On that day, eight individuals pledged allegiance at the blessed hands of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to be ready to sacrifice their lives. The names of those fortunate individuals who took this oath are stated as follows. Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Hazrat Talha radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Hazrat Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Hazrat Saad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Hazrat Sahal bin Hunayf radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Hazrat Abu Dujana radiallahu anhu, Hazrat Haris bin Sima radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Hazrat Khubab bin Munzir radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and Hazrat Asim bin Sabit radiallahu ta'ala anhu and none of these companions were martyred. It is written in Alama Zamakhshri's book, Khasai Ashra, that on the day of the Battle of Ahud, Hazrat Zubair steadfastly stayed beside the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And at that moment, he pledged his allegiance to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, until his death meaning he promised that he would give his life to protect him, but he would not leave the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. <coughs> Regarding the steadfastness and devotion of the companions, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib writes in his book The Life and Character of the Seal of the Prophets that the feats of valour that were displayed by the companions who had gathered around the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was such that history is unable to present the like thereof. These people would revolve around the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, like moths around a flame, and continuously put their lives at stake for the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. The companions would take every blow upon themselves, and along with protecting the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, they would continue to strike the enemy. He further writes, but how long could these few devotees withstand this grand flood which was ravaging forward moment by moment from all fronts 
with its horrific waves. The Muslims would sway from side to side with every wave of every attack waged by the enemy. But as soon as its force would somewhat subside, these helpless Muslims would continue fighting and close in around their beloved master. At times the force of the attack would be so perilous that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would practically be left standing alone. There was one occasion when only 12 men were left standing around the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And there was even a time when only two people were left standing by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Among these devotees, the names of Hazrat Abu Bakr, Ali, Talha, Zubair, Saad bin Waqas, Abu Dujana Ansari, Saad bin Muaz and Talha Ansari have been especially recorded. From this reference, the number of companions around the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, which has been cited in different references, is resolved. As I mentioned earlier, because of the attacks, there were sometimes less and sometimes more companions around him. And the promised Messiah والسلام, explains whilst answering an allegation levelled by Christians against the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, when they alleged that he permitted lying or saying something false. The promised Messiah states, A sublime example of the teaching of our Lord and Master, the Honourable Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is established here. And it is that the same Torah of which your Yesu, i.e. Jesus, availed himself throughout his entire life as if mother's milk, had been admonished by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to avoid as far as possible. The lexical translation of Torah is that your tongue utters one thing and your heart means a different thing. That is, to say something which has two meanings. Then, whilst elaborating upon this, the promised Messiah further explained the word Torah. I have already stated the lexical definition. The Promised Messiah then further explains that during a time of disorder, to hide a matter out of fear, or with the intention of hiding a secret as per the dictates of wisdom, it should be stated with such examples and in such a manner, whereby an intelligent person understands it, and a foolish person is unable to understand it. Meaning, to wisely speak in such a way that it is not lying, but despite its diverse meanings, an intelligent person is able to understand the actual fact of the matter, whereas an unintelligent person is not able to understand it. Rather, his attention gets diverted elsewhere. But the promised Messiah states that it is proven from the Ahadith that this is against the highest level of righteousness, i.e. taqwa. The Promised Messiah has extensively explained this. Thus, it can never be proven about the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that he lied. And this is a summary of what the Promised Messiah states, that according to the Christians, the person who they call God is in such a state 
that he twists his words at the smallest matters. Nonetheless, whilst explaining this further, the Promised Messiah states, It had been admonished by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to avoid as far as possible, so that the purport of a statement should not resemble a lie even in its outward form. But what can I say? And what can I write about your Yesu, i.e. Jesus, who could not uphold such attention to care in truthfulness? A person who lays claim to divinity should have come into the world like a roaring lion, instead of adopting Toria during his entire life and making all his statements in a manner akin to lies, thereby proving that he is not among the perfect personages who announce themselves in the face of their enemies, showing no concern for death. They trust God completely. In other words, the person who you call God lived his entire life committing Toria. And then the Promised Messiah states, and never exhibit cowardice at any stage, i.e. those who trust Allah or the one whom they claim is God. In fact, not even the prophets of God do this. He says that I am verily reduced to tears when I imagine how I would respond to someone if I were to object to the timid state and use of Toria, which is a form of falsehood, of such a weak-hearted Yasu. When I envision Sayyidul Mursaleen, i.e. the chief of the messengers, while being all by himself during the battle of Ahud, and proclaiming in the face of drawn swords that I am Muhammad, I am the Prophet of God, I am the son of Abdul Muttalib, and on the other hand, I envision your Yasu while trembling and admonishing his disciples not to tell anyone that he is Jesus the Christ, which ran contrary to reality, even though this statement would not have led anyone to kill him. I am drowned in an ocean of bewilderment and ask, O my God, even this person is called a prophet when such is his standard of courage in the path of God? The expression of astonishment by the Promised Messiah for the biblical account of Jesus was in the form of a counter-accusative answer. It was not the case that the Promised Messiah rejected the prophethood of Jesus. The Promised Messiah did not reject that Jesus was a prophet. Rather, he highlighted that condition of the prophet they present in their own scripture and make him to be the Son of God. And yet, they tried to accuse the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, saying that he permitted lying or acting with cowardice. Ibn Ishaq writes that when the disbelievers had surrounded the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he stated that who will give up themselves for my sake? Upon this, Ziyad bin Sakan stood up with five Ansari companions and according to some narrations, he was Umara bin Yazid bin Sakan and showing great courage one by one they laid down their lives before the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. This continued until only Ziyad or Umara remained and he too sustained multiple injuries. Subsequently, a contingent of the Muslims returned and repelled the idolaters away from the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. After this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, I bring Ziyad bin Sakan to me. He was brought to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in a state that he was breathing his last. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said to bring him close to him, and the companions did so. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then moved his blessed feet towards him, and so he put his head on the blessed feet of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. When Hazrat Ziyad passed away, 
His cheek was resting on the blessed feet of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and he had sustained a total of 14 wounds on his body. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib says, On one occasion, when an extraordinary wave of an attack by the Quraysh arose, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, At this time, who offers to sacrifice his life in the cause of Allah? This voice happened to reach the ears of an Ansari, who along with six other companions from among the Ansar advanced, and each and every one of them gave their lives, fighting around the perimeter of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. The head of this party was Ziyad bin Sakan. After this attack, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, ordered that Ziyad be brought to him. In other words, when the attack from the disbelievers reduced in intensity and the other companions regrouped, making that area a little less crowded, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, ordered for Ziyad to be brought to him, who was lying on the floor wounded. The people brought him and presented him before the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. At the time, there was still some life left in Ziyad, but he was in his last breaths, and in this condition he raised his head with immense effort and placed his face upon the footsteps of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and it was in this very state that he gave up his life. With regards to the martyrdom of Hazrat Musa bin Umar, it is written that Hazrat Musa bin Umar was fighting ahead of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and was martyred whilst fighting by Ibn Kamiya. It is mentioned in accounts of history that in the Battle of Ahad, Hazrat Musa bin Umar was the flag bearer and carried out his responsibilities with great diligence. On the day of Ahad, Hazrat Musa bin Umar had the flag in his hand when Ibn Kamiya, who was mounted on a horse, attacked him as a result of which his right arm, which held the flag, was severed. Upon this, he held the flag with his left hand and Ibn Kamiya attacked him again and severed his left hand as well. Following this, Hazrat Musa bin Umar pressed the Muslim flag against his chest and Ibn Kamiya attacked for a third time and inflicted a fatal blow to Hazrat Musa by striking the spear into his chest. The spear broke and Hazrat Musa fell to the ground. After this, two men from the Banu Abdiddar, Suwaid bin Saad bin Harmala and Abu Rum bin Umar moved towards the flag and Abu Rum bin Umar picked up the flag and it remained in his possession up until the Muslims returned back to Medina. This has been mentioned in one book of history. However, in some other narrations it is mentioned that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, gave the flag to Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Whilst mentioning this incident, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib writes, The army of the Quraysh had pretty much surrounded them from all four fronts and continued to crush the Muslims moment by moment through repeated attacks. Yet, even after all this, the Muslims probably would have may well regained themselves shortly thereafter. But the outrage was that a bold warrior from among the Quraysh named Abdullah bin Qamiya attacked Musa bin Umar the flag-bearer of the Muslims, and severed his right hand with the blow of his sword. Musab immediately clutched the flag with his other hand and advanced to confront Ibn Kamiya, but in his second blow the other hand was severed as well. Upon this, Musab joined both of his severed hands together in an endeavour to keep the Islamic flag from falling, 
and held it to his chest, upon which Ibn Kamiya struck him a third time, and this time Musab was martyred and fell to the ground. As far as the flag was concerned, another Muslim immediately advanced and took hold of it. But since the size and figure of Musab resembled that of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Ibn Kamiya thought that he had slain the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. It is also probable that this scheme of his was merely guided by motives of mischief and deceit. In any case, when Musab was martyred and fell, Ibn Kamiya exclaimed that he had slain Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. At this news, the Muslims lost whatever composure was left in them and their force was scattered completely. As I have already mentioned, the momentary lapse in the concentration of the Muslims transformed the victory of the Muslim army into a temporary defeat. However, in the history of warfare, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is considered the greatest commander and expert in making wise and decisive orders. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, kept a keen eye on the ever-changing situations in battle and he was able to protect his dispersed, weaker army in the face of an army four times its size, thereby preventing the enemy from fulfilling its evil intentions of completely crushing the Muslim army. After the martyrdom of Hazrat Musa bin Umar, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, gave the Muslim flag to Hazrat Ali. Hazrat Ali took the flag in his hand and stood against the enemy, imbued with the desire for victory. His sword continued to strike one after the other, causing the Muslim army to recover its resolve. Hazrat Ali gathered with a small group of the Muslim army around the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and fought until they found a path out of the siege of the idolaters. Thus, under the leadership of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, this small band found a way out and made their way to the dispersed Muslim army, which was losing its resolve after hearing the news that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had been martyred. As a result, the disbelievers of Makkah began to launch continuous attacks against the Muslim army to render their escape unsuccessful. However, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, strategy of retreating was so successful that this handful of people were able to stand shoulder to shoulder in a semicircle and whilst crushing all the attacks of the enemy were allowing themselves to slip towards the valley. The enemy tried its utmost to surround them but the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, defeated the swarms of their assaults and made a path forward. There is also mention of a state of sleep and slumber that overcame the companions as they fought during the Battle of Ahud. Allah the Almighty brought about circumstances that caused them to slumber. The details of this are such that Hazrat Zubair bin al-Awam narrates that when the tides turned during the Battle of Ahud, I found myself close to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. When we were all confused and afraid, a sort of sleep-like state descended upon us. The conditions were such that it seemed as though we were overtaken by slumber. Hence, there was not a single one of us whose chin was not on their chest. That is to say, their heads were falling down due to the state of slumber. He continues, By Allah, it seemed to me as if I was hearing the voice of Muattib bin Qushair Ansari in a dream. And he was saying, 
that if we had the authority to make a decision, we would never have been killed here in this manner. Muattib bin Qusher Ansari was a companion who participated in the Bayt al-Aqba, the Battle of Badr and the Battle of Uhud. He further says, I remembered these words of his whilst in the state of seeing him in the dream when Allah the Almighty revealed in relation to this incident. That is, then after the sorrow, he sent down peace on you, a slumber that overcame a party of you, while the other party was anxious concerning their own selves, thinking wrongly of Allah like unto the thought of ignorance. They said, Is there for us any part in the government of affairs? Say, All government belongs to Allah. Hazrat Kaab bin Amr Ansari relates, On one occasion, on the day of the Battle of Ahad, I was among fourteen of my people besides the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Thereupon, we were overtaken by a state of slumber which served as a source of peace, i.e. it was a slumber that brought peace. And despite being in a state of battle, it was such a slumber which was granting us tranquility. There was not a single one of us from whom the sounds of snoring could not be heard. He continues, that I saw that Bishr bin Bara bin Marur's sword was slipping from his hand without him even realizing that it was falling. In the meantime, the idolaters were launching attacks against us. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih IV rahimahullah, has written the commentary of this verse and stated, It is possible that he felt as if the sword had fallen because at the time they were overcome by a state of slumber and the weapons which they were firmly holding would have become loosened in their grip, causing the weapons to fall. In any case, the word nu'as has been used, and in light of the various aspects of the meanings of the word amanatan nu'asan, the translation can be summarized as, Then, after the sorrow, he sent down peace on you, a form of sleep, or a state of slumber which granted peace, or granted you a state of peace, the impact of which had an element of sleep or included sleep. The meaning of amanatan nu'asan is also a temporary state in which one is overcome by slumber and momentarily the head falls. However, the word nu'asan which has been used here does not refer to this type of slumber. Rather, it is a state which is in between being awake and asleep. Prior to falling asleep, one enters a middle stage of sleep whereby one's entire body becomes relaxed and this in itself brings about a state of peace. If this state of relaxation continues, then it leads into a state of sleep. In such a state, even if one is walking, they will not fall. In fact, they will feel a sudden jolt before falling and they would know the state they were in. However, if they enter a state of sleep, then they have no control over their body. In any case, it is possible that Bishr bin Bara may have also been overcome by a state of deep sleep. But despite it being a state of war, 
it was nonetheless a state of peace, and in such a state one can also fall. Thus, even if this is deemed to be the case, then the grip of his hand would have loosened and the sword fell. However, this is such a state that one immediately realizes that they are about to enter a state of deep sleep, and then a person suddenly jolts and wakes up. Hence, Allah the Almighty states that He granted them a state of peace, which was similar to a state of slumber, but not as deep as the state of sleep, whereby one has no control over their body. And so this granted them a feeling of peace, but not rendering them completely inactive. Similarly, in a hadith of Bukhari, Abu Talha states that in right in the midst of the battle of Ahad, they were overcome by a state of slumber. And this state of slumber is one which has already been mentioned previously. Hazrat Talha states that the sword would be on the verge of falling and then he would take hold of it again. Thus, this hadith shows that it was not such a state of sleep whereby things would fall from their hands or they fell whilst walking. It was a tranquil state, but yet they still had control over their body. The weapons would be on the verge of falling, but they would take hold of it again. Thus, this state of slumber did not just appear for a sudden moment, rather it was a state which continued to overcome them for a while. There is also a narration in Tirmidhi Abu Abu Tafsir from Hazrat Abu Talha, who states, On the day of Ahad, I looked up and saw that everyone was being taken over by a state of slumber and was lowering down behind their shields. Owing to staying awake or extreme fatigue, the companions were in a very bad state, and by being overtaken by this state, Allah the Almighty was granting them a state of comfort and peace. He further narrates that this is not the case of it happening to just one soldier. In fact, all the companions who were engaged in fighting along with the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him against the enemy, were suddenly overcome by this state, as if it descended from the heavens and covered all of them. At the time, they were desperately in need of a state of peace and for the opportunity to refresh themselves, and this was not a time to sleep. In such circumstances, where one is extremely fatigued, they can be taken over by such a state. In any case, for an entire group of people to be taken over by a state of slumber at once, and that too at a time when a battle is ongoing and there is a great risk from the enemy, is indeed a miracle and not just a mere coincidence. This can happen to an individual, but this, however, was not a mere coincidence. Rather, it was a miracle and a special form of peace was granted to them at that time by Allah the Almighty. Alama Abdul Razak has narrated from Zuhri that on the day of Ahad, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was attacked 70 times with the sword, but Allah the Almighty saved him from every attack. Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani states that it is possible that Zuhri has literally taken it to be 70 attacks or is referring to this to indicate a large number by this. The Promised Messiah states, The one who stood next to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, during battle was considered to be the most brave as the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would stand in the position where there was most danger. SubhanAllah, holy is Allah, what a lofty rank he possessed. Take the example of Ahud, where there was a relentless attack from the sword 
and the fighting was so intense that the companions could not bear it, and yet this courageous individual would continue to fight bravely. No blame lies upon the companions, for Allah the Almighty has forgiven them. In fact, the wisdom behind this was so that the bravery of the Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, could be manifested. The Promised Messiah further states, At one point there was an attack of swords from every direction, and yet he would openly announce his prophethood and say, I am Muhammad, the Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him. It is said that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, sustained 70 wounds, but the wounds were not deep. Thus, this was the great moral character of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Then Abu Amir relates about the incident of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, falling in a ditch. The narration is as follows, that Abu Amir Fasik dug a number of graves in the Battle of Uhud, so that the Muslims would fall into them without realizing them, and thus incur loss. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, also fell into one of them, not realizing it was there. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, fell unconscious and he injured both his knees. Hazrat Ali quickly ran to him and took hold of him and Hazrat Talha bin Ubaidullah lifted him up and helped him out. The wretched Ibn Qamir was the reason for the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, falling as he attacked the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and struck him with his sword. The sword struck the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's neck, and although the sword itself did not impact him, however, the force of the blow caused his blessed neck such a jolt that he experienced discomfort in his neck after that for a month or even more. At the same time, he started hurling stones at the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, one of which struck him in the back. Utbah bin Abi Waqas, the brother of Saad bin Abi Waqas, also threw a stone at the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, which struck him in the mouth, breaking his bottom fourth or the tooth between the front and canine tooth. Similarly, his bottom lip was also split open. Imam Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani states that a piece of his tooth broke off rather than the entire tooth breaking from the root. It is said that when Saad bin Abi Waqas i.e. Utbah's brother learned that it was his brother who attacked the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. He entered the enemy army looking for him with revenge on his mind. He himself narrates, There is perhaps nothing more I desired in the world than to kill him. However, Utbah dodged him and got away. Saad returned once more looking for him, but every time he would evade him. When he was about to go a third time, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to Hazrat Saad, O servant of God, do you intend to give your life? As Asad says that in this way, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was stopping him, and so he did not go. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, made the following prayer against Utbah bin Abi Waqas. That is, O Allah, do not let another year pass before he dies in the state of being a disbeliever. And Allah the Almighty accepted his prayer that on the very same day, Hazrat Hatib bin Abi Balta killed him. Hazrat Hatib says that when I saw the depraved audacity of Utbah bin Abi Baqas, I immediately asked the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, where Utbah was. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, pointed out to me the direction he had gone, and I immediately went after him till I finally found him. And I swiftly struck him with my sword, resulting in cutting him from the neck 
and his head falling at a distance. I took possession of his sword and horse and took them to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Upon hearing this news, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated twice, Allah is pleased with you. Allah is pleased with you. During this attack, the helmet which the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was wearing also broke. And due to the constant attacks from the enemy, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, sustained injuries to his face and cuts on his skin. One of the people who attacked the blessed face of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was Abdullah bin Shahab Zuhri, who later accepted Islam. These details are ongoing and will be mentioned in the future, God willing. At this time, I wish to make mention of a few deceased members. The first mention is of respected Abu Hilmi Muhammad Ukasha Sahib of Palestine. Sharif Odeh Sahib writes about him that a few days ago, our Ahmadi brother in Gaza, Muhammad Ukasha Sahib, was brutally martyred and his body was found some distance away from his home. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. The deceased was a sincere Ahmadi. He was 75 years old. He migrated from his village to Jabalia in the city of Gaza where he lived in a refugee camp. He has seven sons, five daughters and 35 grandchildren. One of his grandsons says that they had not been able to contact him for several weeks. During the temporary pause in fighting, he went looking for him but did not find him at his home. His body was found a hundred meters from his home amongst the dead bodies. He had been shot in the head and martyred. An Ahmadi in Gaza named Yasir Shaheen Sahib says that 10 years ago the deceased had a satellite dish installed and asked me to help him find the MTA channel. At that time I learned about Ahmadiyya through him. Sometime later he provided me with further details about the community and sent me some books. Then for a period of time we would continue to have debates. I then offered the Stakhara prayer after which my wife and I pledged allegiance, I did the bet. Muhammad Dukasha Sahib was very pleased with the fact that I had pledged allegiance. Thereafter, our relationship only became stronger. He would relate to me the commentary of the Quranic verses for hours and hours. He would read out extracts from Tafsir Kabir for me and would explain concepts such as abrogation to me. His manner of speaking was very likable, and he had been writing a book for quite some time, and he would call me to listen to his book in order to improve it, and would bring up various matters for discussion. His intention was to expand his home to include a library in which he could have photocopies of the community's literature. However, his family was cruel to him on account of him being an Ahmadi, and so he was unable to fulfill this wish of his. It was through him that I became acquainted with the community in Gaza. We would all visit him in his sitting room, and in his final years, due to his ill health, he often remained in his home as it was difficult for him to move about. Another Ahmadi from Gaza says the deceased was tall in height, slender, with a white beard, and the impact of his piety and virtue could immediately be felt by anyone he spoke with. He would always be engaged in the remembrance of God and reading the community's literature. It was his great desire for the community to have a mosque near his home. During the war in 2014, he penned an article in which he said that the day was near when graves would be bombarded and their headstones would become scattered. This was exactly what happened, and despite being embroiled in difficulties, he always met everyone with a smile. 
He was very generous, intelligent, and he was able to read what the other was thinking rather quickly. Dr. Yusuf Sahib says, the brother Hilmi was very sincere and was a true Ahmadi. Even before he became an Ahmadi, his mentality and dealings were like those of an Ahmadi. Hence, as soon as he learned about the community, he pledged allegiance, or he did the bath. After pledging allegiance, he would speak to scholars and other locals about Ahmadiyyat, due to which he faced a great deal of opposition and difficulties from his family. In his last days, he would walk with his crutches and be the first to arrive for the Friday prayer or any other meeting despite him experiencing great difficulty and dangers along the way due to the opponents. He offered his financial contribution before others did, despite not having much. His desire was for the community and its beliefs to be spread throughout the world because they present the solution to all of humanity's problems. He intended to give his house and a portion of his land to the community so that a mosque and the community's headquarters could be built there. However, his opposing relatives stopped this from happening. May Allah the Almighty elevate his station and make his children the recipients of his prayers. May his children and relatives understand Ahmadiyyat, the true Islam, and witness peace and security. May Allah the Almighty also bring about peace in their region, stop the oppressors and eliminate them. Israel is also starting a military operation on its border with Lebanon to combat Hezbollah, which will result in the conditions only worsening. Similarly, the USA and Britain have started a military operation against the Husi tribe of Yemen. And all of these things are only expanding and increasing the war further. In fact, now many commentators have said that a world war seems to be drawing near. Thus, there is a great need for prayers. May Allah the Almighty grant understanding and wisdom to humanity. I will mention another deceased member, Amtul Nasir Zafar Sahiba, wife of Hadar Ali Zafar Sahib, a missionary serving in Germany. She passed away a few days ago. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. By the grace of Allah, she was a Musiya. Apart from her husband, she is survived by a son and two daughters. Her maternal grandfather, Chaudhary Aminullah Sahib, was a companion of the Promised Messiah, Hadar Ali Zafar Sahib writes that I am a missionary and served in the field in different times. And she lived apart from me for approximately 12 years but never once complained to me about it. Once, when something did arise and troubled her, I asked her why she did not tell me earlier. And in response, she said that she did not want to cause me any disturbance while serving in the field. In Frankfurt, she also served as the local president for the Women's Association for the Batu Sabu Jamaat. And during the year in which the Khilafat Jubilee took place, she served as president for the Women's Association of Frankfurt. She was very regular in offering prayers and fasting. She offered the Hajjid prayers and regularly recited the Holy Quran. She was very charitable and caring and would fulfill her financial contributions on time. May Allah the Almighty grant her his mercy and forgiveness. The next mention is of Naseem Makhtar Saiba, wife of Habibullah Kahnu Saib of Gatalia. She passed away recently. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. 
By the grace of Allah the Almighty, she was a Musiya and paid all her Vasiyat Jannah before her demise. She even paid the portion that was due from her property during her lifetime. Apart from her husband, she is survived by her six sons and two daughters. One of her daughters passed away during her lifetime and she raised her children with great love and provided them with an education. Four of her sons are life devotees. One of her sons, Naveed Adil Sahib, is serving as a missionary in charge in Liberia and due to serving in the field, he was not able to attend her funeral. Her son writes that Ahmadiyyat entered her family through her father, Mullah Bakhsh Sahib, who took the Pledge of Allegiance during the era of the second Khalifa. She had considerable religious knowledge and sometimes people would meet her and would ask about her formal education. However, she did not have much secular education. She, Ayi's mother, would often say that her interest in religious knowledge came from her father because he would listen to the dars and lectures in the mosque and then reiterate them at home without fail. Thus, parents can have a great impact if they have such discussions at home. Her love for the community and Khilafat was boundless. She was fearless and had great honour for her faith. She could not stand to hear anything against the community and the promised Messiah. She was very regular in offering prayers and offered the Tahajjud prayer as well. She regularly performed the Atakaf except during the last few years of her life. She would complete the full recitation of the Holy Quran three to four times during the month of Ramadan. She would always remember God and recite the Rood. On one occasion, she accidentally fell and broke her leg. And at the time, myself, i.e. her son Adil Sahib, who is writing this, he says that me and my brother were with her. And right when it was time for us to go, she fell and broke her leg. However, she told me to go and fulfil my duties and instead called her son-in-law from a neighbouring town and went to the hospital with him. She told me, i.e. her son, that it is your duty to go and serve your faith immediately. Naveed Adil Sahib says, that Seven years later, I went to visit her while on vacation and she advised me that life and death are in the hands of Allah. You cannot tell when the time will come for anyone. And so if something of this nature occurs, do not come and leave your post. Rather, stay where you are. Thus, he remained at his Jamaat centre and was unable to attend his mother's funeral. Next, I will mention respected Mubarka Begum Saiba, wife of Rashid Ahmed Zamir Sahib of Bashirabad state. She also passed away recently. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Ahmadiyyat entered her family through her father, Bahawul Haq Sahib, who pledged allegiance in 1948 at the hands of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih II, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. She possessed extraordinary qualities. She regularly offered the five daily prayers and tahajjud. She was a pious and virtuous woman who selflessly served the community. She had the opportunity of serving the community in various capacities. She also served as the Lajna president. She spent almost her whole life serving the community. She taught the Holy Quran to hundreds of boys and girls. And she observed the veil with great care and inculcated this habit within girls. She was active in partaking in serving humanity and she fulfilled the needs of the poor and widows. She helped many poor and orphan girls get married, and she taught many girls sewing and stitching. Every Friday she would go to the mosque two hours prior to the Friday prayers and clean the women's area herself. Thereafter she would offer voluntary prayers. 
She was very faithful and trustworthy. Many women would entrust their jewellery and money to her for safekeeping because of her trustworthiness. She never quarrelled with anyone, nor was she ever disrespectful. She possessed very high morals. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, she was a Musiya, and when she entered into the scheme of Asiyat, she also enlisted her daughters. And in this way, she also encouraged other women in her village to enter in Vasiyat. Apart from her husband, she is survived by a son and five daughters. She was the mother-in-law of missionary Usman Ahmed Saib, serving in the Raqim Press in Sierra Leone, and missionary Sadat Ahmed Saib, serving in Burkina Faso. Both her daughters, who were married to these missionaries, were unable to be with her during her final moments. They remained in their posts where they are serving. Her daughter, Asifa Saiba, writes that I have the opportunity of serving alongside my husband, Usman Ahmed Saib, in Sierra Leone, and due to serving in the field, I could not attend my mother's funeral and burial. Similarly, my younger sister, Mariam Bushra, is in Burkina Faso and was unable to attend. May Allah the Almighty grant them patience and strength and may he grant mercy and forgiveness to the deceased and may her prayers for her children be fulfilled in their favour. Thank you.